today's episode, we are joined by Ben Smith from Rousebank. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much, Kate. It's great to be here. Why don't we start off by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, thanks very much. So um, for those that don't know, I'm a passionate fintech professional with probably more than 20 years experience now across both startup scale-ups and global multinational companies. I uh, spent my time both in the UK where I was born and, and latterly Australia where I now live. Um, I've worked for a variety of fintech companies, mostly in global payments and FX space, both on risk management and also streamlined payment processing, and also spent a little bit of time in uh, card present acquiring point of sale. Currently, though, I'm uh, the interim COO for APAC for Railsbank. Uh, I'm based here in Sydney, where I head up our customer function for the region. Uh, ultimately, I'm responsible for overseeing and strengthening our position here in the market with our partners, our customers and stakeholders as well as making sure we've got the right commercial strategy for the region. Um, I've actually been in Sydney nearly 15, 17 years now, so uh, pretty much a third of my career was in the UK and uh, the most recent two thirds here in APAC. Basically an Aussie. <laughs> it feels like it that way. It don't sound like it, but it feels like it. <laughs> um, and can you give us a bit of an overview of what Browsebank has been doing in APAC um, over the last couple of years? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess it's been a, an incredibly busy 12 to 18 months um, so to try and distill it uh, for the purpose of this, there's, there's probably three main areas that we've focused on and, uh, and had some achievements. Uh, given that our growth and scale globally has uh, allowed us to come into this region, the first thing that we've probably focused on is, is our people. Uh, I think at the end of 2020, we finished with around 15 people and this year we'll be approaching 100. Uh, so significant growth across really all of the, the, the main functions that you could think of, anything from marketing to engineering, compliance, legal, customer success, sales, you name it, we've, we've built it out. Uh, it's also involved a greater presence, <clears throat> excuse me, across Singapore, which is where we have our regional HQ, as well as increasing the teams and office, offices that we've got in Malaysia, Vietnam, and of course, Australia, which is close to my heart. Uh, that brings us on to the, the second thing that we've achieved, I think, in, in, in that 12 months, and that is that we've entered a new market, namely Australia, it was almost 12 months to the day, actually, where we announced our partnership with Vault Bank, which triggered then the start of our journey here. Uh, and more recently, we've managed to get our AFSL, our Australian Financial Services Licence, which was another huge positive and a step forward as we start to take to market the capabilities that we've got around the rest of the world and bring them here to Australia. And then last but not least, um, customer growth has been the, the, the other area that we focused on. Um, we launched our first, in fact, Australia's first vast customer, and have since launched Australia's first embedded finance business debit card linked to a deposit account. Um, and we're currently working with another number, a number of other customers to help them uh, go live uh, throughout this year. Um, we haven't forgotten about Singapore. Singapore, we've been consolidating our presence there, uh, building out our capabilities and working with our existing customers to help them grow as, to, as well as to, um, to, to work with the pipeline of customers that are continually coming to us to look at our services. So a busy 12 months. And if the next 12 months is as busy, it, uh, it should be another good year. Sounds like lots of growth so far. Yeah. Um, you mentioned both BAS and embedded finance there. And I thought what we might start with is what is what is embedded finance? What's your definitions? I see um, you read a lot on, on um, around both topics and often they kind of get talked about in the same sentence. They kind of get um, spoken about as if they're one and the same. Um, what's your definition of embedded finance and how is it different to, to BAS? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, and I actually love this question. So thank you for asking it. Um, even speaking with my colleagues over the past week, it's something that we think that should be asked more often, simply because it, it does get a bit murky in the market and media and, and, and the terms are probably used interchangeably when potentially they shouldn't be. 
Um, I, th I think the other point to note is that uh, the, these terms are often dreamed up by journalists and the industry to keep thought leaders happy and that, that fundamentally they're irrelevant to, to the consumer. So they really are inward looking industry terms, but, but we appreciate the fact that uh, we need to kind of define things and, and, and keep things categorized. So um, I think the way that we view embedded finance is that embedded finance is the creation of a seamless customer experience, which incorporates a finance component or a finance capability. Uh, so we call this industry category, the embedded finance experiences category. And I guess it can be thought of as the juncture where payments or finance capabilities and those components become intrinsically part of a brand's experience. And those components are then available through a set of APIs to truly embed them in that UX, in, in, in that experience that uh, the brand offers. Um, and so what it does is it allows um, more frequent access of the uh, provider's product and a, and a more engaged customer as they interact with those services. It's also a rich data source, so uh, it can be plugged into decisioning engines and, and help with other things as well. The, the, the fundamental part here is it's not a clunky third-party module. Uh, it really is just something that is intrinsically built into the experience of whatever brand is, is providing access to that uh, finance capability. If we compare that to BAS or banking as a service, really that's the domain of fintech and those fintechs that are looking to create standalone finance experiences. So think of neobanks or marketplaces, money management tools, fintechs that are trying to create a finance product or a financial product. They will use those capabilities, but to create a finance product versus embedded finance, where you're taking those uh, capabilities and, uh, and, and um, placing them into a user experience that isn't uh, necessarily finance related. Mm. Um, BAS also gets used to access payment rails. So, so it is just a bit of a, a, an industry specific term. Um, another term that often gets talked about in the same breath is, is white labeling, I guess. Um, and, and I think that's probably very much older school um, where white labeling is really just the rebranding of someone else's user experience. And so that comes with a, a huge amount of limitations as to what can be done with it. Um, so as you, as you go from embedded finance, which is the richest integrated uh, experience uh, through BAS and through white labeling, you, you'll see the differences hopefully. There's a good point about how we, we talk about this a lot internally within the industry, but to a customer, um, some of these terms maybe don't, don't mean as much or, or maybe don't change the experience as much for them. Yeah, exactly. I think no, no, nobody wakes up to go and buy some embedded finance or mm -hmm. wants a portion of bass after lunch. I think it's, it really is just an industry term. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and what are the biggest misconceptions about embedded finance? I know we spoke about the fact that it gets sort of confused with different terms, but are there, are, are there misconceptions that you come up against as well? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I think it's still a nascent thing. So, so I think a lot of it's still being um, understood, and, and people are creating new use cases for it. But, but I think one of the one of the biggest misconceptions that we see is that embedded finance is about creating uh, like a, a super app. Um, or it, it's not that at all. It's not about adding a bank, adding banking to an app in the way that say WeChat or the equivalent has added a banking capability. Um, it's really around adding the individual components of uh, banking, whether it's payments or creating accounts, storing money, uh, spending money on a card, tracking payments, and so on and so forth, directly into that customer journey. So you don't need to create a huge super app to, to, to take advantage of embedded finance, nor do you need to have that super app to, to really provide value to your own consumers, or your own customers. Um, it's really about making uh, a journey more engaging uh, and more complete uh, and, uh, and delivering the finance capability at the point in time that someone 
uh, would be looking to use it rather than having to go elsewhere. So yeah, I, I think it's really important to get the point to get across that it's not about creating a super app. Uh, it's more around uh, embedding a, a, an individual component or multiple components into an experience. It's funny that you say that because when I was thinking embedded finance, APAC region, I immediately thought super app as well and then started thinking, actually, it's a, it's a lot broader than that, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, yeah. Um, and what what has the, the success been of embedded finance in the APAC market? What are the some, maybe some examples of the impact that we're already seeing from embedded finance? And I guess moving away from just the super apps, what are the things that maybe we don't think about as much in terms of how embedded finance is already impacting on customers? Yeah, I, I think there are probably a, a few examples I could give. One, one's probably very familiar and often uh, talked about. Um, another will be a customer of ours and then another just a, a, an industry participant that, that's using embedded finance in, in an interesting way. So uh, the first is Uber. I, I think uh, probably people might have guessed that that's what I was going to go with. But um, I will try not to recreate horrors or, or, or nightmares for people who used to get taxis in Australia. But when I first came to Australia, it was a horrific experience. Um, taxis wouldn't turn up. I had been handed a, a physical map, a Sidways map, to direct the driver where to go. Um, and also then when we got to pay, it was in a city, so there was tall buildings. It was on 2G probably at the time, if not 3G. And, um, and yeah, so the FPOS terminal wouldn't connect to the payment network, so we had to drive 200 metres down the road, um, had to pay for it, cars getting queued up behind the taxi, had to wait for the receipt. Just, just overall not a particularly pleasant experience. If you then look at what Uber did from firstly a digital first experience, they were able to uh, to actually look at what the user experience of hailing a cab and and departing a cab should look like. And so they solved a lot of the problems there, the booking process, the, the knowing where the taxi is. Um, but fundamentally, they also embedded finance. They, they took an embedded finance approach to how you paid for the taxi ride at the end of the journey. Um, so it's now seamless. It's pretty much in the background. We don't really pay attention to it, but we know that the taxi will be paid for and we know that we'll get the receipt and and the process will be will be seamless in that sense um so that's a, a really good probably very familiar example of how um embedded finance or a component of finance has been embedded and wrapped around the user experience it, it really works well and it doesn't have to be uber it could be grab uh, or any of the other ride sharing apps that are out there uh, additionally it's also worth noting that it's not just the passenger uri that uh, that gets a benefit from this but also the drivers uh, so in the older world, the drivers used to collect all of the FPOS chits and all of the receipts from their journeys, and they'd have to go to a cash office somewhere, queue up and get paid cash. In, in this new world with embedded finance, they get their own wallet within the app that gets paid immediately with all the fees deducted, and it's just a lot smoother experience. So it's actually beneficial for both the driver and the rider. Uh, so I, th I think that's probably the, the most obvious one. Um, another example I can give that's probably not thought of or, or not as well known is um, one of our customers, SingLife. They're, um, they're a life insurance company. And if you imagine the usual engagement for consumers with a life insurance company is, is possibly twice, once when you take out the policy, maybe once when there's a renewal, um, and then lastly when, uh, when there may be a, a claim made on that, uh, on that policy. Um, so SingLife's taken a different approach and what they've decided to do is to try and create uh, an experience uh, that provides those consumers of theirs or their customers with a totally different experience and so they've introduced a model whereby you can create uh, an account with them uh, it pays interest and more interest than the banks presently uh, you get a debit card with that account and it's all performed digitally within the app and the twist here is though that the account has an underlying 
insurance policy attached. So whenever that account, whatever's in that account, you're covered up to a percentage over 100% of the value as life insurance. And if you compare, compare that experience, you've got consumers engaging with the life insurance product and, uh, and company on a, on a daily basis. Um, they're getting a benefit to that account that they wouldn't get elsewhere. And they're not having to deal with paying premiums each month. So again, a, a really interesting and slightly different use case that uh, you'll start to see these these uh, the, these wonderfully creative uh, methods of uh, of engaging with consumers and creating deeper relationship with consumers coming through. Uh, and a final example, if I may, is is a, com a company called Caro. Um, they really have transformed the the, the buying experience for buying a car. Um, it's uh, all done digitally for for. for the most part, including the ability to, to get a loan process to, to finance the car. So a whole car buying journey can now be done uh, much more seamlessly and, and digitally. Uh, there's another company in Germany, I think, that does it, whereby you can have the excitement of going through the aspirational moments of test driving and choosing your car, something that people very much enjoy. And, and historically, the, um, the process of then getting a car financing loan to, to, to pay for it can be a little bit of a a jolt in the process it's either sat in the, the dealership's office or having gone separately to a bank beforehand or a broker to get a, a personal loan or a car excuse me a car loan um now that can all be done in a digital way and, and and loans can be approved in in less than a minute and the whole process gets transformed through that so um hopefully they give three different slight slightly different versions of how embedded finance um is, is operating here in apac at the moment but there'll be many more that come and there'll be many different uh, different uh, different use cases that we'll see pop up for sure. Yeah, I think thinking about all three of those, they're all really good examples of where the customer experience is enhanced. And I think we, we all spend our time sort of talking about banking and finance and payments, but for a customer, generally they don't, they don't really care. They don't really want to have that. It's just a pain point in, in that experience. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. No, no, no consumer thinks, oh, I want to make an NPP payment today or Oh, I wish I did this payment this way. They just care that the money gets from A to B or it's done quickly. Um, it's the experience that, that, that really matters. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned MPP because we're talking about this internally um, this week about how we kind of assume that MPP has delivered all these great benefits to consumers and, and it has, but they're, they're so disengaged because it's, it's such a great process. It's so quick. It's so easy that they actually almost don't realise that it's happening. It's just, well, why wouldn't my money move instantly? Yeah. That's it's an expectation now so yeah but, I guess, but I, guess that's a, I guess that's a sign of good technology in a way uh, I think I was talking the other day with someone about that there's so much technology in in our smartphones even today um but really people don't care what bluetooth chip it might have in it or what bluetooth version it uses they care about the fact that they can easily connect their headset or their headphones to the phone um that it works it's simple um but really the technology just disappears and so you can listen to your Spotify tunes, which are curated by Spotify, knowing more about your listening habits. So you get a great experience there. You can listen to it through your headphones without having to have wires in the way. It just connects. And then similarly, so when you leave your, your lounge or your office and, and you head into the car, uh, there can be a seamless connection from, from, from there to your car. And, and so, again, consumers don't care about the technology. They just care about the experience. And the yeah. technology really should, should, uh, should almost be invisible. And again, that's where we really see embedded finance making a difference like like uber and all those other examples mm, absolutely um and i'm curious so we spoke a little bit about sort of the the super apps and I, there's a lot of markets in asia where we've seen really rapid adoption of fintech digital payment services um wechat alipay 
Um, does that mean that a market like APAC is maybe more open to embedded finance compared to a market like um, Europe? Or do you think, uh, are the barriers to entry um, different in different areas or different regions? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a good observation. I think the, the, the main difference is that if you look at three main regions, and we'll talk about the US, UK and Europe uh, and, and APAC. So if you look at US and Europe, um, and compare APAC. APAC's a lot more fragmented for a start. Um, there's many more disparate countries, cultures, different local payment systems, different dominant local players, um, regulators in general, I think you could currently say at least are, are more risk averse. Um, so that probably sets, a sets apart the regions in, in, in one aspect. Um, from a rails bank perspective, we actually think this is probably one of our biggest opportunities, and that's that we can connect these disparate markets on our platform, which will bring a huge benefit to, to the Pan-Asian brands as they build consistent experiences to their users um, without having to deal with those multiple standards and providers. But, but in terms of adoption, um, I think it's pretty key and pretty obvious from either the, the reports that I think that you guys have even shared and, and some of the podcasts that you've had is that digitally, the, the, the consumers in APAC are probably more digitally confident than their European and US counterparts and the adoption of mobile technology and the adoption of digital uh, apps and the trust in those apps is probably a lot higher and a lot further along, uh, especially across Southeast Asia, um, than it would be considered across Europe and, and, and North America. So I think on the flip side, whilst it's more fragmented and more difficult to necessarily uh, create uh, a, a, a same experience across all markets uh, from a brand's perspective, uh, I think the adoption rates will probably be a lot quicker uh, mm. given that uh, the, the digital, digital capabilities and confidence that uh, the consumers here have. Yeah, I think that that sort of tracks, as I said, with, with our research, if we look at just something like openness to, to open banking and willingness to share data in Asian markets, the willingness is, is already there because they, they already kind of get what the value trade-off is, that if they give up their data or if they engage with these new providers, they get a real benefit, whereas in markets, even a market like Australia, but UK and Canada and US, there's just more hesitancy and more um, maybe cynicism, I would say, about sort of newer providers coming into the market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think it's transforming, um, but 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 absolutely, the current state is that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned sort of digital readiness or, or sort of consumers' confidence with with digital. I, I guess one of the key trends we've obviously seen over the last few years is just that rapid digitization that's been brought about by the pandemic. Um, how does that change what customers are expecting from their financial services relationships, um, and what I guess opportunities does that present to different providers in the market? Yeah, I, I think if you look at the market, we're um, we're pretty confident, and and, and you'll probably be able to back this up. But uh, that there's a clear understanding that consumers really are after simplicity, uh, and they're also looking now for digital experiences more and more so, and and, and further down the value chain as well, and with more complex products. Uh, I, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day that was that was talking about the onboarding process, for example, at banks and how people are getting much more confident with that, and then not only that, but the their desire to take on more complex products without a person involved or an individual involved is, is, is also increasing. So um, I think that simplicity is key and then digital first is, is, is also key. Um, we also believe that um, customers and consumers, and this is probably more on the leading edge uh, and the early adopters, uh, they don't want banking products as such. 
but they want the finance to be available at the point that they need to that they need to complete the task uh, and a task they care about. So going back to the point earlier when we're talking about buying a car, you really don't necessarily want to have to go and buy a loan first and look at the product such as a loan and then go and buy your car. Ideally, you want to go and find the car that you want to purchase. And as part of that buying process, seamlessly, you can in integrate a really efficient way to, 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 take, to consume the loan. Um, so I think that's that's another observation that, that, that will come through from from the transformation as we get uh, more into digital. Um, therefore, if you follow that through, I think the, the, the in terms of who's best placed to take advantage of that shift, um, we fundamentally believe that it's going to be brands, so non-finance related companies mm. uh, that will actually continue to benefit more from the shift as consumers want to engage more with them than they do with banks. So there's a generally speaking a higher customer satisfaction with brands than there are financial institutions. Brands and, 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 and non-finance companies tend to know how to make their customers happy and, and, and what those pieces are. Um, partly possibly because they're unregulated environments. So there's a few different ways of interacting with those consumers. But regardless, the, the consumer is getting a much better experience and they're much happier with their brand uh, than they would be from their bank. So if you overlay that, the ability to then incorporate those finance components and those finance capabilities into that brand experience at the point in time where the consumer is likely to digest it, um, then I think you'll see that uh, that that shift and that transformation will take place. So it comes down to a couple of questions. If you're a Formula One fan, for example, and you, you're off to the to the next Grand Prix, would it be easier and would it be more preferable to get your travel insurance from Ferrari or McLaren if that's who you're a fan of than it would be to go and separately get it from a from a large insurer or similarly? getting that car loan, would you rather get it done in 40 seconds as part of the buying experience of the car or have to um, have to go outside you and, 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 and find a product provider to go and purchase it? So I think that's the shift that we'll see. It's, it's a really great point, actually. We, I think we spend a lot of time thinking about um, banks versus fintechs and often we forget the role that brands play um, and the trust that they already have from customers. And um, yeah, the the experience they're already interacting with them. There's it's an addition to the experience is, is improving the experience rather than as we were talking about going to your bank to get a product which customers don't necessarily want to do. Absolutely, and I, th I think there's obviously still a place for fintechs and still a place for banks, but but uh, fintechs will be able to probably be more niche in, in in who they target. They don't have to have a broad swathe of product capabilities and and uh, and servicing options. They can actually really target. The sectors that they're looking to, to to service and and again with embedded finance or bass to support that then they're able to take those capabilities direct to them um we just think the biggest transformation the biggest shift will probably be in that brand space yeah absolutely i think points to the importance of partnerships as well which i think comes yeah. up again and again as, as sort of a key theme that we'll see more of over the next few years and um so thinking about the events of the last few years and that digitization and the rapid changes that we've seen in consumer behavior and, and confidence around digital um what are the specific opportunities that that raises for embedded finance does that mean or it sounds like you're saying it creates more opportunities more willingness to consume those sorts of services uh, yeah i mean if we if we look at the the last few years and and what, what the shift has been there, it's been pretty dramatic, um, just in terms of our own individual experiences. If, if I look back to a role I was at previously when the pandemic hit, um, we had about 40 people working, 50, 40 to 50 people working in an office and all of a sudden had to transfer from working from home. Um, we had FX dealers and traders that needed to be talking real time to customers, customers needed to call them. They were all based across Sydney or, or Melbourne. 
Um, and so we were able to do that with using digital technology, using voice over IP and the digital technology that comes with that. That wouldn't have been possible a few years prior to that. Um, so just the advancements of technology and, and how we're able to incorporate it into our lives um, has, has carried to, has, has uh, continued to, to grow. Um, what the last two years has shown, I guess, is that the, the, the speed of adoption can actually be incredibly quick. Uh, when it solves the problems that, uh, that you're actually needing to solve for, then people can actually quickly move into it. And I think people are probably now more open than ever to, to those digital experiences. Um, I think Darren, uh, our marketing lead for APAC, recently wrote a, a piece just on medical and health tech over the past couple of years, obviously in an environment whereby you can't go physically or you're restricted in the most part from physically going to see a doctor, um, a load of digital health tech uh, apps uh, surfaced and allowed people to interact with their medical providers in a digital way. Um, and if you look now at those digital providers, they're able to survive and they're able to continue to grow their, uh, their services to their customers. Um, and if you can then fast forward that a little bit further, and, and if you can create a, a finance experience that's wrapped around those consumers, those individuals who are experiencing the digital health services, even if you have to go to the hospital or go to your doctor, you could still leave having seen your doctor and have the experience of the Uber payment, for example, where you're able to just walk out and have the insurance component covered and then the, 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 the balance paid by yourself. So I think that uh, that digital adoption that's been accelerated over the last two years, we'll, we'll, we'll see transformations at a faster pace than we've, we've seen before. Um, and I think that's what's going to open up the significant opportunities um, as, as we move forward. Um, education is another sector that was hit hugely by not being able to be in person. Uh, a lot of remote learning, I think it was very difficult for the industry, but, but they're now in a far better position to adopt digital first um, capabilities. And, and I think they'll just continue to grow. The pandemic probably also shows us, I think, how, how quickly people can adapt when they really have to. I think we sometimes think it's going to take a long time to get somewhere or customers aren't ready. But once you, you have sort of the framework put in place, customers do adapt and do move. Yeah, absolutely right. And, 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 and I think even simple things like for, for, for I, I don't know how many years now, but for a number of years, um, Australia has never really used QR codes for payments and everything else yet. It's been incredibly prevalent throughout Asia and Southeast Asia. And I'm not saying the QR code actually solves a payment problem we've got here in Australia, but now people know what a QR code is. They know how to interact with it on their phone. It again opens up an, an, another form of interaction. So you, you're absolutely right. The experiences that we've all had over these last two years, both in terms of what technology can do for us to help us in these situations, but also that it actually isn't as big a stumbling block or as big a hurdle as potentially thought, uh, will we'll just open up the, the velocity at which these things can be, uh, can be adopted, I think. I can't tell you how many times we've been asked about QR yeah, codes. Sure. Um, yeah, but, I mean, you, you look at Asia and, and how successful QR codes have been, and, and there's this constant question of, of whether it works in other markets. And yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it necessarily solves a payment issue in Australia. We've got contactless, um, which does that. But yeah, it maybe it solves a different issue. And it obviously is solving one for us at the moment. No, absolutely. And and yeah, I, I think that's what it comes down to, isn't it? It's, does it solve a problem? And, and if it does, then it's probably got some opportunity to... Uh, to, 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 to work going forward. Um, but if it doesn't, then, uh, then that's where the adoption will be a, a lot harder to take up. Yeah, I, I, always, I always really like that idea of the right product will be ones that solve problems. We can sort of talk about things that are 
technologically technologically advanced and things that are sort of fancy and new, but customers just want their problem solved for them. Yeah. Um, you mentioned sort of a few times that idea of uh, finance sort of wrapping around a customer experience and being kind of an invisible part of that customer experience. I think that leads to, we often hear this prediction that banking is going to be disintermediated by things like embedded finance and DAS and, and open banking, um, that it's just going to become a utility. Um, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on whether you think that is one where we're headed and then whether that is is necessarily a bad thing for the financial services industry. Uh, yeah, I think it's talked about a lot. Um, my personal view is that I probably, I think we are going down that path, truth be told. Um, I don't think it's going to happen overnight and I don't think that it's necessarily going to be as black and white as as it's often discussed but banks I don't think banks are ever going to be redundant in that sense um I just think the roles that bank will play will fundamentally shift mm. um and and if you look at what's changing now and that's that's the distribution uh in this new world which also affects that the, the, the discovery element so if consumers are starting to interact with their brands or fintechs who offer the finance experience at the point at the time that they want to consume it um, then what what point do the banks get involved? Um, so banks, I think, will need to consider how their consumers are going to find out about their products and whether their products stand up on their own as standalone products that people will actually go to them to get. Or will they be best consumed, like we talked about before, in fintech or brands, hmm. user experiences at the point of time where they need to be taken on? Um, so, so I think that's one of the biggest challenges. So banks will be, um, I have no doubt, asking the question as to, how they're going to how they're going to compete at that point of time uh, where the finance component is needed. So how do they know when an individual, me or you, is going to go and buy a car and wants to get a car loan? Or how do they know uh, where you or I um, are getting out of a cab and need to make a payment? The, the, these, these things just aren't known to the banks. Hmm. So I think so I think the, the, the banks are still going to be able to play their role as far as uh, safe storage of funds, providing capital to the markets, um, creating balance sheets and lending support, all, all of those good things, as well as access potentially to, to, to the payment rails and some of the capabilities. But I think as the requirements of the consumers get more nuanced and, and, and they're consumed at different points, um, I, th I think I think that, that, uh, that front end piece that the banks historically have led with, whether it's the online banking app or whether it's the bank branches, uh, will probably start to, to to become less relevant to consumers. So yeah, I, I, I think it will be, I don't necessarily think it's a, a, a bad thing at all. I, I think often we look at banking, it's a hundred, what, 150 year old industry. Um, and uh, I think the banks and the infrastructure will, will provide great support to the industry uh, for, for many years to come. I just think there's gonna be a shift in, in how consumers uh, interact with the, uh, the, the front end piece of those banking capabilities rather than, uh, rather than the infrastructure. Yeah, I think I mean, banking is always changing. The way that customers interact with their banks today is so different, even to you know, a generation ago. My mom still goes down to her bank branch and talks to the person behind the counter anytime she needs to do anything. But that's obviously not the experience for, for most uh, for most people now. So I think sometimes we get caught up in in a change that is coming without recognizing that it's a constantly evolving industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can you can probably compare it to 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 the music industry. If you think what iTunes did for the music industry through creating a, an end user experience, which was mm. ideally wrapped around the consumer, digital first, uh, access to millions of tracks. Um, yet the music industry still exists. It's just consumed in a different way. Um, so I think what iTunes did for the music industry is a similar thing that embedded finance is potentially gonna do for, for banking and, and finance. 
I love that analogy, the iTunes of banking. Yeah. Sounds, sounds more exciting, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe to a customer. No, um, that's not, I think that's the point, right? It, it, it's about what's important to the consumer, the customer, um, whether it solves problem for them, whether it's delivered in the way that they want to consume it, whether it's delivered at the point in time that's relevant to them. If it ticks all those boxes, then it's likely to get uptake um, and, and customers yeah. and consumers are likely to engage with a lot more uh, versus going into a bank and saying, oh, I need a an account that does this or an account that does that it's just different experiences absolutely um final question for you what is your advice to to fintechs to incumbent providers with thinking about what the opportunities are for them in terms of embedded finance yeah i, I think it's probably come through the, the the thread of our chat here but uh i'd say think not about what products you can sell to your customer um, but how and when and where your customers might actually want to interact with your products and also think very important, very, very carefully about how they want to experience it. I think it's fair to say the finance battleground will no longer be on the high street real estate, but uh, at the point in time that uh, the consumer expects to experience it. So, yeah, that would be my advice. That's good advice. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time today. And, and just to wrap up, is there anything you can share about what Rails Bank's plans are for the next sort of 12 to 18 months? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for your time too. It's been great to talk to you and, uh, and chat about this exciting world of embedded finance experiences and, and, and what it can create. Uh, for us over the next 12 to 18 months, uh, I think you will see us continue to build out our capabilities in both Australia and Singapore as we layer on more capabilities that we have around the globe and bring them to these markets. Um, we'll also start to look at uh, new markets in the region, so that'll be another exciting uh, venture into new areas for us. And I think the other thing that, uh, that you'll start to see is that we're probably starting to work in some new exciting industries. So just as we've talked about before, brands will be looking to take on embedded finance experiences. Um, so I think in order for us to help those brands, you'll see us starting to I don't know, look at uh, the, the retail economies and, and, and the fan, fan economies. Uh, so you'll probably start to see a shift in the types of customers that will be looking to, to, to partner with us to, uh, to take their own, um, th their own capabilities forward. Sounds exciting. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great having a chat. Likewise, thank you very much. <laughs>